0: Good day and welcome to Critical Q&A, <laughs> the live stream, <laughs> the one where I have to remember all the buttons I'm supposed to push. Hey everybody, uh, good morning and uh, this is Critical Q&A number 356, uh, Sunday treat, yes, hey x Uh excellent. I am doing okay, and no, I am not ready for some snow tomorrow. I am really getting pretty sick and tired of the snow, and we hardly really didn't even have that much of it already. I mean, we've been, we've had a couple little, um, I don't know what the word, not hurricanes um, or tornadoes, blizzards. We had one or two blizzards here in Denver um this winter and uh anyway I'm uh we're going to have more snow and just it, it's so annoying because um Denver is such a, a a town of of opposites of 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 polar opposites in that you will get snow fall and then that same day or the next day it could be you know it could flip from 20 25 degrees one day to 60 the next to, you know, a couple of days later, it's 15 degrees and snowy, and then, I mean, it's just a little bit much. Anyway, uh, just don't mind me complaining. I'm just, uh, you know, uh, going on and on about the weather here as we get started. But... um all that aside, I did have a couple other things I wanted to bring up real fast while we were getting started and getting everybody uh, arriving and everything. Um, a couple points that I thought you guys might be uh, interested in hearing from me about. One of them is um, the movie Don't Look Up. Finally saw that and uh, didn't watch the entire thing. I missed a, a chunk of the beginning, but the um, but I watched the whole thing through to the end and Uh, you know, it was supposed to be a, uh, comedy, I guess, and I didn't laugh once. I, I didn't find it humorous in any way. (laughs) I found it to be more documentary style, really. I kind of thought it was more, oh yeah, that's, that's people. That's how they are. That's exactly what would happen. Yep. That too. Yep. That too. Yep. That too. Uh, all, you know, seemed pretty, uh, pretty cool. Uh yeah, I am not going to be moving to Clearwater, thank you Xian. And no, there's no topic today. This show is just Q&A. So it's the topic is what questions you guys ask me. This is uh this is all about you guys asking me questions and me answering them for you. So go ahead and start firing them into the into the comment section here if you have questions for me and I will start taking them up. But I did want to um to finish a couple little thoughts I had here just to get going while you guys arrive and start questioning me. Um, So, anyway, I do recommend watching Don't Look Up, even though it will probably infuriate you if you have any degree of of empathy and compassion for people or want to see the human race survive, because all of the things that we do in order to secure our short-term survival are shown as the, you know, nonsensical, uh, opportunistic craziness that makes up most of our lives, so well, because it, it it obscures our short-term views and needs and desires and obsessions and and demands, obscure the bigger picture, and uh, and we and we are very 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 bad at planning group-wise <laughs> for the future, uh, in really you know in, in, in very unified ways. We're, we're really 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 bad at it and uh and so anyway it's uh, it was an interesting movie to sort of highlight that <laughs> but on a on a on a more educational, on a on a brighter note and what brighter but in a different note and something else i wanted to throw you guys as way um And something I definitely want to do video work on in the future is um, Cults and Entertainment. And the specific one that I'm thinking about right now that that, uh, Mel and I are watching is called The Shrink Next Door. It's on Apple TV. It's Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell. Who are two comedians who are doing a drama? this is not a comedy it 's called i had I saw one uh, 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 categorization of of the shrink next door it 's a limited series i think it's uh, i think it 's eight or nine episodes or something and um, and it 's based on a real life account of a psychologist in New York who just a couple years ago had his license revoked i mean this was this was going up until fairly recently. The, for a period of over twenty years, this psychologist basically owned this uh, client of his. He took over his entire life and uh, ran it uh, very narcissistically, very controlling. It's a it is probably one of the best screen representations or dramatizations I have seen yet of a narcissist insinuating himself very carefully and very slowly into a person's life, and in this case, through uh, through therapy as a psychologist, which is a, a, a whole nother level of egregious awfulness because a psychologist has ethical codes and training and principles that they're supposed to follow, and invading the life of their clients and taking them over and taking advantage of them is absolutely the most Gross, unethical behavior that a therapist can engage in, short of, of course, going full in with sexual assault or sexual liberties, uh, which is the only thing I can think of that makes it even, you know worse is adding is adding sexual abuse on top of it but everything short of that is what happened in this relationship over time and this therapist uh took control over this guy marty's life to the point where he was making him disconnect from family and friends and exclusively you know being run by this therapist anyway it was it's a very very good representation of that and i thought you guys might want to know about that because it was uh it, I just I'm so impressed by it. I'm only three episodes in, and I am really impressed with how methodically, slowly, and carefully they are rolling this out. And a thing I wanted to mention about it that um, that I thought was um, particularly good about the casting is watching Will Ferrell be victimized by Paul Rudd. In, a, in dramatic roles, in a dramatic way, not in a comedic way. Somebody called this dark comedy, and I was like, you're out of your mind. There's nothing comedic going on in this show. Um, is perfect because you expect from all your earlier encounters with Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell, for the most part— a few exceptions, but for the most part, they are not dramatic actors. And so when they bring the seriousness to it, you don't see it coming. Paul Rudd is, is this charismatic, very nice-looking, nice-sounding, harmless-looking person. And he is not in this role, and he does a very good job of that. And that's one of the things that they should do when they're casting people to play narcissists or, or controllers or predators is people you don't you people you look at and like people you look at and go I trust this person this is somebody I want to be friends with this is somebody I want to I want to have a relationship with this is somebody who can be of benefit to me this is someone I want to know that's the reaction you should have to one of these predators because that's what they do. That's how they craft their personality, their way of talking and their way of addressing people and their way of acting is all about getting you to get your guard down and let them in. So, uh, you know, that's uh so that's that's uh, uh, a point. That I think is a is a subtle and important one in this particular thing that I wanted to bring up, so all right now let's move on and start addressing some of these comments here because we're coming in uh wow Norway hey hey Norway, all right, uh, and of course, Steve, I see you in the comments section and all of my favorite critics um Okay, yes, Andy Van Buse. Uh, Any thoughts on why Mark Bunker won, but Aaron did not in the Clearwater elections? I thought Aaron's campaign was much more organized, and he had more funds than Mark. All true, and money alone is not the thing that's going to bring about a win. Elections, I don't pretend to understand all of this, but according to what Aaron told me and other conversations I had, Mark's election was a was a midterm, whether where this one was a main or something like that, there was a difference in how the elections were conducted or how many people were voting or something like that. Again, don't don't I, don't quote me on these specifics. There was something different about it. But I can't I can't remember as I sit here. I'm not going to run through my text messages right now. But Aaron described that it was different. And while Aaron did get more votes um, and there was more time, Mark you know, hardly campaigned at all compared to what Aaron was doing with his, you know, boots on the ground, knocking on doors. Um, but... Um, we have a couple things here. We have an establishment situation, which was more organized, had more time, and and took more effort to counter Aaron's campaign. Um, the mayor, the this, the police force, the, the captain of the police force, the uh, other city council members, all endorsed Aaron's opponents. They none of them wanted Aaron on the city council, and uh, without that. You know, kind of help or assistance. Mark Bunker alone was not enough. You know, there's a thing, and I talked about this uh, in the in our critical conversations show on Friday. Is that there's a resistance by a certain percentage of the population to change, to any change, to upsetting the waters, to, you know, uh, uh, uprighting the apple cart. And regardless of why you're doing it, how right you are in doing it, for whatever reasons you're doing it, they don't care. They want things the way they are. They want things chill. They want things calm. They want things under their control as they see things. Everything's fine. According to the way I see it, so why are you coming around and trying to make everything upset and and stir up all this controversy and make all these problems? And that is how Mark and now Aaron are perceived by the rest of the city council and by the Clearwater establishment. And so, um, so that alone is a factor in Aaron's loss. The other factor is um that there is no there does not appear to be any love of scientology in Clearwater or even in the Clearwater establishment they're not pro scientology but as i mentioned in my in on friday they're not anti scientology either right they're kind of just they just don't really care about it and that is the problem that's the exact crux of the problem but they are the ones who hold the reins of power the levers of power and so what do you do about that? Well, you try to go in and take that over. But Aaron had a little bit of a problem with public intoxication last year, last September. There was an incident reported on in, in the Clearwater, in the Tampa Bay Times, um, where he was publicly intoxicated, making a complete ass of himself, calling some woman names, and the police were called. And it was it was a bit of a thing. It was an incident. and um, And I don't know if that was a one-off, but it was enough of an incident in that reporting that the locals read that, looked at that, you know, we might look at that and go, well, that's bad, but it, you know, but still, Aaron's the guy, come on, vote for Aaron, he's the guy who's going to take on Scientology. Well, the locals looked at that and went, yeah, no, I don't think that's the guy we want on our city council, and, and so that was a factor. I can't say that was the deciding factor, but to ignore that incident or to ignore that reporting would not be good critical thinking, right? It happened, it was real, and it was part of the public perception problem that Aaron had uh, in his campaign. He clearly positioned himself as the anti-Scientology, you know, uh, council member, and that they were going to do something about that. And there was a lot of verbal, vocalized support for that, but clearly not enough compared to, you know, the other uh, things that that the citizens of Clearwater have their attention on. So, uh, so we thought, Aaron thought and said many times that Scientology was not going to be able to um, stop him. And it doesn't look like Scientology did. It looks like, you know, the, uh, the establishment and the inertia and the other overall situation in Clearwater uh, is what stopped him. And, uh, and that's a shame because the citizens of Clearwater deserve better and they certainly don't deserve to be taken advantage of by Scientology. And, and regardless of Aaron's success or victories or mistakes or, or, or uh, uh, good things that he did, regardless of Aaron, regardless of any of that, the Clearwater situation is the Clearwater situation and Scientology wants to take over that town. And until the citizens and the city council of Clearwater get it straight in their head what that group is about and what their true intentions are and have been since the 1970s, they're going to continue to play footsies with this destructive cult. And Clearwater is going to um, be disadvantaged to the degree that they keep messing around with that. So... It's not. Aaron wasn't wrong <laughs> in any of the things he was talking about with Scientology, and uh, it is a threatening organization that does not have the interests of anyone uh, except itself in its in its mind. So, uh, so that's the situation, and Clearwater has clearly chosen to continue to not deal with it, and that is a damn shame. And that's what I uh, know about that um okay so let's go back to the comments here um okay ww is asking me what do you think of Falun gong they have a couple of channels on youtube and of course their shen yun dance troupe i just answered a question about this a couple weeks ago on this q a show uh falon gong is a cult and uh and i talked about the fact that um uh, literally, like a week or two ago. So go check that out, because it's, I, I actually address this in a little bit of detail and the fact that you can have a cult versus a cult, and destructive cults fight each other. And that's what's going on in China with the CCP and, and Falun Gong as an, as an organization. They're a revolutionary cult. And they conduct themselves and act like a destructive cult, and it's not a good thing to be part of that group if you care about your own human rights and humanity. Uh, But that's—they're dedicated to the cause, right? And they got to fight the CCP, and they got to raise all that money, and they got to deceive you to do it. And that's how they're going about their business. So, uh, so Falun Gong is not something I endorse or am behind or think it's a good thing or anything like that. And the Shen Yun uh, dance troupe that comes around through America is, done, is nothing but a fundraising effort for Falun Gong. So when you give money to them, you are giving money to a destructive cult and you are actively contributing to the oppression and, uh, and uh, coercive control that is being exerted over a great many people uh, and it's abusive. And it's not okay, and that's that's the kind of that's what's going on there. So, I hope you will not support Shen Yun or Falun Gong. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's carry back on here in the comments. Uh, this is good stuff so far. Um, oh, Xian, thank you on this Holly Provençal discussions. Thank you. I've been. Um, Yes I did enjoy very much speaking with Holly and being on her channel I've done three video interviews with Holly Prevenkel and I posted a link to one of them in the on my channel notes you can find it on my um, in the community tab on my on my channel. And uh, Holly's an up-and-coming uh, Scientology geek, or something, I think is the name of her channel. She's a uh, transgender and is vi- never interested in science and never involved, rather, in Scientology, but fascinated by it. Absolutely fascinated by it. And so she has done deep dives into Hubbard's works and read from the scriptures. And I tried to help her out by offering some analysis and some behind the scenes and some references to Hubbard's lectures, which she had not yet seen. And so, if you, it's a great. This is for me. It was an interesting exercise, and I hoped that her audience would pick up on the fact that that you can read the texts of something. You can read the Bible. You can read scriptures. You can read, um, you know, religious texts. And completely miss the boat on how the culture and group operates. Because it's not enough to just read the text. You have to understand the culture of a group to really get into the nuts and bolts of how it operates. And with destructive cults, you know, if you only take it at face value based on what's written or what is in the lectures, you could miss big time on some very, very important things. And so that's what I tried to bring to Holly's channel and give her some uh, some some analysis of this work and how the culture of it works, so that you can take the written work and go, oh, this is how it plugs into this. And that was sort of how I was approaching my my discussions with her. And I had a, I had a really great time. I thought uh, she was she was uh, very curious, very interested in this stuff, very sincere in exposing the abuses of Scientology. And so I, uh, you know, wish her channel all the luck with that. Um, Okay. Uh, Okay, Vernon asks the question, do you think that CCHR is correct when it points out that there are over 500,000 children ages zero to five on psychiatric medicine? I was shocked. Well, Vernon, Um, That is a very high number of children if you only look at that number in a vacuum. Um, How many children are in the U.S.? 73 million children in the United States. Now, let's say that that 500,000 figure is only U.S., So 73 million kids. One, two, three, divided by 500,000. Oh no, the other way around. Five. Sorry, remembering my algebra here. Divided by 73 million. 0.0068, 0.0068, less than 1%, less than less than point 0.1% of the children in the United States are on psychotropic medications. Not that shocking of a piece of information anymore, is it? Shouldn't be, because it's really not that high of a number when you look at the statistical bigger picture. Um, and it's entirely possible that that many children might actually need some kind of, uh, you know, Psychotropic medications for some kind. I would need to see much more specific information before I could make a judgment as to whether that 500000 is a good or bad thing. What kind of medications exactly and treating what exactly. To think that all of them are legit would be silly. Of course they're not. There are children who are on psychotropics who absolutely positively should not be on psychotropics. But please know that there is a that this is a deep well and there is a lot to know about this. And uh, to make a, a snap judgment that, well, that's just too many and they just don't know what they're doing and these psychotropics are out of control. True enough, you can find examples of places and people where they don't know what they're doing, they shouldn't be on psychotropics, and those kids are in a bad way, and they don't need psychotropics, they need something else. You can find examples of that 100% of the time, but that doesn't mean that the vast majority of those kids are being misdiagnosed or mistreated. That's important, at least to me, to draw as a distinction. So, um, so I will say that in response to that. That's my response to your question about that. It's, um, it sounds shocking, and that's why CCHR uses that information and presents it to you, by the way, in a shocking way. They want to shock you. They want to take this information and make it out to be awful. Because the one and only mission of CCHR, the Citizens Commission for Human Rights, which is a Scientology front group that was established in 1969 by Ron Hubbard and Dr. Thomas Zaz, contributed to it. He was a psychiatrist who didn't like psychiatry. And some of the abuses that were going on in psychiatry, to be be, uh, clear. Anyway, CCHR is a Scientology front group, and their sole mission— is to destroy and eradicate psychiatry forever. And they actually believe, Hubbard's scriptures, that, that psychiatrists as a body are a group of people who are um, beings from the planet Farsec, and they are here to implant and destroy us. So if, So don't give CCHR any credibility, please. There are really good sources of information that are extremely critical of psychiatry and that are trying to bring about reform in psychiatry. And these are organizations that I, you know, support and can get behind. CCHR is not one of those organizations. And even the anti-psych movement and and the reform psychiatry movement keeps themselves at arm's distance from CCHR because they know that they're a group of fanatical extremists. And that's what CCHR is, is they are extremists. And they have no solutions for what to do beyond, you know, sending people off to take a walk or take vitamins or get sleep. And admittedly, those are good things to do for for a lot of people. But they're not going to cure psychosis or insanity. They're not going to cure ADHD or depression or or PTSD or any number of things that people suffer from. They just don't. And CCHR has zero solutions to any of those problems. All they are is a hammer destroying psychiatry. So anything you hear out of CCHR is something you should absolutely be taking with a grain of salt or at least a great deal of skepticism and critical thinking. Okay, so that's my take on that. All right. Uh, voter fraud, someone says, the Green Glass asks, uh, I guess in regards to Clearwater, no indications of voter fraud that I'm aware of, and I poo-poo that entire idea with the Clearwater election. I don't think that's why Aaron Aaron lost. Okay. um Well, that's great, Vernon. I am very happy that you are having positive results from not being on your anxiety medications. It sounds like you were on the wrong meds, or maybe you didn't need to be on meds, and that's excellent. I'm very happy for you. Just realize that your experience is not universal and is not the experience everybody else is going to have. Some people who have anxiety need their medications, or they have anxiety even worse. That happens too. I happen to live with somebody who is in that that condition, so um, so both are valid, both are, and that's the thing is it's always individual. Every single person is different. Their biology is different. Their biochemistry is different, and how they're going to react to psychotropics is therefore going to be a little bit different than everybody else. And that's the game we play with psychotropics is it's a little bit of a of a dice roll, and you kind of figure it out as you go. Uh, it is not. A uh, great medicine. It is not ideal. It's where we're at. Okay. Uh, so, yes, Maria, I think that they saw a troublemaker in Aaron. Yes, that's right. He would definitely have made trouble for the city. Yeah. Okay, so yes, Aaron can run again in the future. There's no block or barrier to him uh, running again, or other candidates can run on a similar platform, but I think Aaron and Mark are showing that Clearwater just ain't interested. They need a different approach and um, to taking on Scientology than the head-to-head approach. Clearwater just ain't into that. You know, it's a retirement community, a bunch of old folks, stuff like that. It's a sedate retirement town, a vacation spot, you know, destination. That's Clearwater, right? And they don't want to fight. And, I, you know, if, if nothing else, we can certainly walk away from this with that conclusion uh, pretty firmly established. And we'll see. Maybe more reporting. Maybe some surveys will get done. Maybe Trace McManus will do some follow-up reporting on this to find out, well, what was it in the citizens' minds that made them vote for the pro-Scientology candidate versus uh, Aaron, right? Uh, These are just my thoughts on it or just my thoughts on it right now based on the information we have. It would be great if there were some follow-up with the voters to find out more couch thank you very much for that super chat i really appreciate that i uh, love the support guys uh really really do all right um yes okay yeah don't think voter fraud is that common i think that politicians slanting the rules for the filling out ballots and gerrymandering is much more common that's correct uh bud i don't Yeah, voter fraud uh, election integrity is something that I, I believe in very, very strongly, and uh, given the challenges to our voter framework or election framework and, and structure over the last couple of years, I think it's proven itself pretty resilient. I've actually been impressed and happy with my faith in our election system and process. I really do think that a, a lot, a lot of very hardworking, very honest people— do uh, are very dedicated to keeping that the integrity of our election process pure i really really do and uh, and there's a tremendous amount of work when you dive into the specifics of, of voter uh, integrity and voter election integrity um you find a, a an awful lot of sincerity and, and hard work being done by a lot of good actors um so I have a real hard time with the automatic, you know, naysaying of elections just because your side lost. Ah, it was voter fraud. It was voter fraud. It was voter fraud. Now, that's a different claim and a different conversation from voter influence and propaganda and lies and deception and and, and coercion and stuff like that. That's a different conversation from is this is the structure and integrity of the system itself in question or... Are we unduly influencing elections by lying to the voters in a, in, a, in a sustained, deceptive campaign to get them to vote a particular way that we want them to vote? That's where I live, and that's the end of the analysis I talk about and do when I get into talking about voting or politics. And that's what I saw in 2016. That's what I saw with Brexit. That's what I saw with um, 2020. Uh, so I, I pay attention to the propaganda side of it, and that's not fraud. That's a different thing, you know so um, so I don't I don't get into the voter fraud side of it that that much. Okay. Um, okay, let's see da, 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 da. No, there's a no question it was newborn babies. Yeah, that was in reference to the earlier question. Okay, you guys talking about voter stuff. Uh, ex scion here's an interesting question. Would you say that you have to experience Scientology to truly understand it? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I, well, let me put it this way. To truly understand it. No. Okay. Actually, let me change my answer. Let me back up. I think you can truly understand Scientology. I mean, I really do. I really think you can truly understand it in the simple phrase... Scientology is a money-making scam that uses religious cloaking to hide its true intent. That is Scientology, parsed down to the most reductionist thing you can say. And if you know that, if you look at Scientology through that lens, you do truly understand it. So it really is that simple. Now, to understand the experience of Scientology, to understand the lived experience of what it means to be deceived, to have your hopes raised, your faith raised, your, um, to be love-bombed, to be part of a group that you truly believe is offering you eternal life, that's something you have to live through. And by living through it and getting out of it and escaping from it, you learn a great deal about yourself, your emotions, your gullibility, your desires, your goals, your purposes, and your place in the world. Uh, At least I sure have. (laughs) So that's what I believe the lived experience of Scientology gives you. So I think you can truly understand Scientology without having to go through all that. But the experience of it and, um, and what that means for people, that's something you got to live. I don't know any other way to relate it to people in a way that they're really going to get it. Uh, that's what I can say about that, I know. I mean, I've spent thousands of hours now trying to describe the experience of Scientology. You know, I can describe it in a sentence, but to describe the experience of it is what I've taken all of my time doing. <laughs> so, so it's a great question, X-Science. So thanks for asking that. Um, interesting. Okay. Kennedy elections. Okay, guys. That's all, That's interesting stuff. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Vernon. Okay. CCHR. This is great. CCHR has a commercial pointing out. That a lot of the school shootings from the past, like Columbine, the kids were on psychiatric drugs. What do you think? Vernon, thank you for asking me this. What I think is that a logical fallacy is being utilized in order to connect dots that may or may not connect. And by that, I mean, clearly we have troubled individuals, if we're going to use that word, troubled. Uh, uh, You could say mentally ill. You could say mentally deranged. You could say there's a lot of words you can use to describe people who do carry out mass shootings. I think uh, out of touch with, uh, you know, reality to some degree. I think, um, I think uh, well, but see, I can't even actually say that. There's a lot to this, right? But the logical fallacy at play with CCHR and these, and these mass shooters is that correlation is not equal to causation. Just because two things are coinciding with one another in space and time doesn't mean that they're causing one another. Although, pretty clearly, we can see a relationship here. But is that relationship a causative one? In other words, if the kids in Columbine, if the two Columbine shooters had not been on psychotropic medications, would they have carried out the Columbine shooting? Well, nobody knows. Nobody's really sure. You can't say one way or the other that that was the causative element. That was the thing that pushed them over the edge that made them carry out the shooting. And the reason why this is uh, critical is because when you're looking for causation... You are looking for a needle in a haystack. You're looking for a thing that you think you can frame out to be the reason this happened. And in a complicated situation like a mass shooting where you're dealing with psychosis, you're dealing with social pressures, you're dealing with um, social ostracization, you're dealing with um, perhaps biochemistry out of whack, you're dealing with—then you add psychotropics to that— which can push the biochemistry further out of whack or, alternatively, can help a person reduce the stress and anxiety that their biochemistry is giving them. It goes both ways, see, and that's the problem with this is it's a little bit, again, of a dice roll as to what effect are those psychotropics going to have, And over time, those change, too. It could start off and be helpful, and then it can change and not be helpful anymore. Or it could start out not being so great and then kick in at certain points. So it's so variable and so changeable with people and so specific to individuals that you don't get away with, and CCHR should not be getting away with saying or claiming that psychotropics alone are responsible for mass shootings. It's a grossly irresponsible statement to make. But since when has responsibility ever been part of CCHR's agenda? They don't care what they tell you as long as you think psychiatry is bad and psychotropics are bad and all of it must be destroyed. That's what they want you thinking. And if you're thinking along those lines, well done. You are a graduate of CCHR's propaganda program. And I only talk that way because it's more complicated than CCHR presents to you. And that's why I am, you know, I'm saying this stuff, right? Is it's, it's, it's not that psychotropics are not dangerous. They are, they can be. It's not that they don't cause problems because they do, People do have anger management issues, get on certain psychotropics, and those anger management issues explode. They become worse. That can happen. Mood regulators can push your mood up or down. And, you know, this is the problem with it. This is why it requires supervision. This is why psychiatrists really need to monitor their patients. This is why psychology and therapy needs to be part of this picture, too, and often isn't. You know, this is where our short-sighted demand for an immediate solution versus the longer-term thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. This is where this comes into play for people. They just want a quick fix. You know, give me a pill. I want it fixed right now so I can get on with my life. There are people like that. There are parents like that. And they put their kids on medications. They don't monitor them closely. They don't supervise them responsibly. And you have problems. But is that the drug's fault? Or is that the parent's fault? Is that the psychiatrist's fault? Or can we look at the bigger picture and go, oh, there's a lot of forces at play here, and we need a lot of work on this on all fronts, right? We need more responsibility. We need more care. We need a better agenda. But we also need better medications. So, you know, it's kind of all of the above. That's what I think about that, Uh, Vernon. So thanks for asking about that. Um I love talking about CCHR stuff. I haven't got to rant about CCHR in a while. Um Yeah, that's right, Robert, on uh, Revolt in the Stars. Um Oh, Xyian asked a question. This is a real complex this is a deep uh minutia question for Scientology. What is TR5 hand mimicry? What's the difference between upper and TRs and CCHs? Um, okay, TR five is a is a is a process or a drill that's not used anymore. That's why there's no reference to TR five pretty much anywhere anymore. It was sort of canceled out of existence. Nobody does TR five um, as a training drill, and I think it might be a process. The CCHs, which are which stand for control, communication, and havingness, CCH those are a series of processes they are objective processes in scientology in other words they're procedures that you do as auditing procedures that you go into a session and an auditor guides you through the each of the cch's i think there's nine or ten of them or something And no, there's more than that. Actually, there's there's a few more. I think there's a the 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 full battery of all the CCHs and objectives is is like twenty or thirty processes or something. And they address control, communication, and having this. So they address this by moving you around a room or having you move objects or touch objects or do things with your environment. That's why it's called objective auditing. It deals with objects and things. It's not subjective. It doesn't deal with your thoughts or your thinking. So op- so CCHs are a kind of objective process that are done in Scientology. The upper indoc TRs or training routines are drills that you do in a classroom environment where you learn how to do the skills that you need in order to carry out the CCHs on somebody. Because in order to, do, to, to be the auditor who audits the CCHs on somebody, you need to have the ability and willingness to control them and manhandle them and not let them out of the room no matter how much they beg, plead, and you know uh, ask to be let out. You have to be determined to get the PC through it no matter what it takes. And this is the stuff that I was talking with Holly about in her videos. We went into real, real detail, not gross, we went into into grim detail uh, about all of this and how this works. So I really, really, really recommend watching my videos with Holly, my interviews with her, because um, I got to talk about this in in a lot of detail and go into uh, why this is destructive and abusive for people. So but that's the difference between them is this is the upper induct TRs are a training activity and the CCHs are an auditing activity and they look almost exactly the same in many ways, but they're not the same uh, at, at all. But they are They're. That's that's the difference between them. OK. Um, yes, uh, Vernon, you're absolutely right. The early history of psychiatry was barbaric and what they considered science was actually not science at all back then. Well, see, that's the thing. Science is an evolving thing, and science evolved, and it was considered science back then. And that's that we can look at that with modern eyes and rightfully criticize and and look at the barbarism of of um, uh, what was it, um, Bellevue, and uh, and what was going on in uh, in England. Uh, I forgot the name of the other place, Beth. Something. Anyway, those those hospitals, those sanitariums, those uh prisons for the mentally ill or for the deranged were awful places. And yet they were an effort to try to sequester and apply some degree of remedy to these people in order to cure them or effect a cure or deal with their psychosis, hysteria, delusions, etc. Um, It was a you know, it was a failed effort in many ways, but it was an evolution if you kinda step back and look at the bigger picture of it, it was that effort that evolved into more humanitarian efforts at hospitals and sanitariums and moved on through the nineteen forties and fifties with electric shock. Actually, nineteen twenties is when that crap started. And uh, lobotomies and transorbital leucotomies and all the things that Hubbard very rightfully criticized in psychiatry, those were barbaric practices from our view now. Because we're better now than we used to be, right? It's an evolution. And that's, it's actually that same thing in medicine, in chemistry, and in all the sciences, All of them, you can go back 100, 200, 300 years and laugh uproariously or cry tragically at all the mistakes that they made and all the things they didn't see and all the stupidity and all the the nuts, crazy stuff that went on. It's true. It's all true. But none of what happened then invalidates the progress and the evolution of these fields now. It's just more logical fallacies on the part of Scientology and CCHR to try to poison the well by pointing out a barbaric past and saying it's nothing but barbarism, it's never been anything but barbarism, and it never will be anything but barbarism. That's the that's the lie that CCHR throws on top of it, and that's what I object to. So again, Vernon, thank you for bringing this stuff up because I love addressing this stuff. Okay, um, so I think I've... Um, catching up here um (laughs) all right sorry emoji if i'm calling them psychotropics that's uh that's from my cchr days that's how they that's what they call them psychotropics um okay thank you nick it's florida mel's doing fine today by the way thank you for asking um Okay, let's see. Talking about voter fraud still, guys. All right. Kids with severe mental illness have diagnosis. Da, 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 da. You changed the laptop storage. Oh, sure. Okay, here's a good question. Uh, XScien, can you explain what a hidden standard is? And did you have any regarding Scientology? Yeah, you bet I did. Hidden standards in Scientology, these are bad things. These are expectations, basically, that you have. They are things that you want to see cured or fixed or changed about yourself or about some situation. And the hidden standard, the reason it's called that, is because it's a standard you hold. It's an idea you have that until this is fixed or until this is addressed or until this gets better, I'm reserving judgment that this subject really knows what it's talking about. Or I'm going to I'm not so sure. This doesn't really work until fill in the blank. Okay? Whatever that is for you, right? For example, you know, Scientology Dianetics doesn't really work, I'm thinking. Until my eyes are cured, until I don't have to wear glasses anymore. Because L. Ron Hubbard said that Scientology will cure blindness or will cure bad eyesight. And he did say that. And he said it a number of times. So because L. Ron Hubbard said that, I believe that is true. So therefore, I'm going to hold out on really committing to Dianetics until it cures my eyesight. That's the hidden standard. And Hubbard railed against hidden standards. He said, they're not good to have, and we don't want them. And if people have them, you need to kind of root them out because they will judge all of Scientology or Dianetics according to this hidden standard. And what Hubbard said, and this is not true, but what Hubbard said or insisted on is that the existence of the hidden standard will keep the condition in place. So the mere fact that you demand that your eyes be cured, that Hubbard follow through on his promises of curing your eyesight, will prevent your eyesight from being cured. <laughs> gotta love it. You gotta love it, right? It's just another twist of the knife uh, that Hubbard plunged into your back. That's, uh, that's the hidden standard, right? Is it's just another way for Hubbard to get one over on people. You can't come into this with any expectations. You can't come into this with the idea that we're going to cure you of X, Y, and Z, even though I've promised to cure you of X, Y, Z. Oh, no, no. You can't have any of that. You have to come in with with a bit of a, not an open mind, Okay, Hubbard also railed against having an open mind. That's the, that's the double-binding contradicting stuff here going on, right? All the time, all the time, all the time. Contradictions. But uh, with this thing, the hidden standard, it was Hubbard's way of not having to be answerable or responsible for his claims, it was him sliding right out of, of of any responsibility for any of the claims that he made about dynamics and Scientology. That's what the hidden standard did for Hubbard. So, uh, so that's what I can say about that. Okay. Um, wow, it's really interesting how much attention there is on voter fraud and elections and stuff. This is this is interesting stuff, guys. Um. Yeah, exactly, Maria. Exactly, on the thing. The point Maria makes is how many kids are on psychotropics who aren't shooting up schools or, or killing people? Well, I can tell you a hell of a lot more than are, on, than are shooting up places, right? There's, a, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids who are taking psychiatric medications, uh, SSRIs or mood regulators or whatever you want to call them, and are not shooting anybody up. Or, or have any compulsion to. So again, how do you get to claim, well, it was the medications that did it, see? Y- you don't. You don't get to say that. It's just not a factual statement. You can investigate it more thoroughly, and on a case-by-case basis, you might be able to make that claim. But you do not get to make that claim about all mass shooters. It's just not how evidence and critical thinking works to say stuff like that. And I'm horrible because I used to be the guy who fronted for CCHR. You know, when I was a Scientologist, I was all in on that. And I really did used to believe that. So I have been on the other end of this argument. And, uh, and now being trained in psychology and being much more knowledgeable about the nature of these medications and what they can and can't do... I, I look at this from a very different perspective than when I was, uh, a, a you know, a, an active Scientologist and proponent of CCHR. Uh, yeah, exactly. Chris Davidson brings up what about gun laws, for example, right? Okay. Uh, we're getting into all the controversial topics today. This is awesome. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. Asex222 asks, hey, Chris, I asked this over email. Um, Are there any technical contradictions that really upset you during your time in or leaving Scientology? Um, y- yes. Yes, there was. Um It was actually a a technical point that was a point of departure, mental departure for me, from from auditing and whether auditing actually works or not. And that point was that I could make a needle float on an e-meter whenever I wanted to, or almost whenever I wanted to. I could almost do it at will. And that was a skill that I developed on the RPF by necessity, right? Because three years on the RPF and you want to get the fuck out of there, right? There is, I mean, three days on the RPF and you want to get the fuck out of there. I cannot, it's, it's obscene. I mean, it's really bad. It was, it was really a bad place to be. And, and I did not want to be there at any moment of any of the days of the three years and three months that I was on it. So I needed to get through that program and I needed to get out of there. And the only way out of the RPF is to get through the RPF because I didn't have a, a solid plan B. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave my wife. I didn't want to leave my culture, my friends. I mean, my entire life was wrapped up in the Sea Org. So the idea of leaving was, was absolutely positively you know, unthinkable to me, really. And so I had to endure this. Uh, that was the that was my mindset. It, I mean, I didn't really have to, but that was what I was thinking. That was what I was telling myself. So, I, I I put my head down and I nose to the grindstone. We're doing this thing right, and I'm getting through this. And I went at it from an honest, okay, let's let's get the evil purposes, let's get the auditing done, let's get through this RPF program. And while doing that, it became clear to me through the endless, endless, you know, over a thousand hours of security checking that I received that there were only so many crimes I could admit to. There was only so many bad things I had done. I mean, when you Roto-Rooter your life and you put yourself under a microscope to that degree where you are confessing every paperclip you ever stole, every, you know, bad thought you had, every critical thought you had about other people. I mean, everything that's coming out of you, thought policing, action policing, all of it. You run out of answers after a while. And so you have to start making shit up. And then your needle starts floating. And you're like, wait a minute. What? I just made that up. I, did, I know that's not real. Because I had to answer this question. And I couldn't get out of it. And I didn't have an answer. So I had to make one up. And my needle floated. What? What? wait a minute, what's this about? And then it happens again, and it happens again. And you're like, oh, wait a second, what's going on here? Something's not quite right. And I started getting a little upset about that. And I didn't say a goddamn word about it, because of course, I knew the environment I was in. And the thing about being on the RPF was, and I've said this before, is that... You get to a point, I got to a point where I knew it wasn't me anymore. I had come clean on everything there was to come clean on. I honestly did. I really was committed and I sincerely tried. And it still wasn't good enough. And even after confessing to everything, I was still on the RPF. I was still, you know, my same me. I was still the same person. I had the same critical thoughts. I had the same problems with Scientology that I'd had that landed me on the RPF. And yet I'd come clean. So I knew that wasn't it. It wasn't my overts anymore that were causing me to feel separated from my group and out and disaffected with Scientology. And that was a huge you know, kind of epiphany. Oh my God, it's not me. It's not my overt. But what does that say about Hubbard and his claims? What does that say about the entire program I'm on? What does that say about all of this? Oh my God, that says some pretty bad things about all of this is what it says, right? And and that's where my head was going. And so, so it really did kind of all start unraveling with that. And um, and I was not particularly really super happy about all of that when it when it was happening. You know, it wasn't bringing me joy to realize that there were parts of Scientology and especially the technical stuff that weren't really what they were supposed to be. You know, that was that was a real look behind the curtain kind of moment, and uh, and I was not happy about that. And took me a, it took me years to get my wits around that and accept it, and that was when I really got out in 2013, so, okay, Um, oh, God, I am not going there, Nick, thank you for asking me that, but I am not opening that door on this channel at this time, Uh, okay, yes, I'm sure that's true, Um, history of lobotomy, okay, okay, Really get across. I'm just catching up on your uh, on your questions. Okay, Lorraine Shepard, will you write another book? Yes, I'm doing it right now, I, and this is not overpromising. We are really going to do this. We are doing it right now. Um, a friend of mine and I are are putting a book together that has to do with Scientology, and I am not saying another word about it. I have overpromised and and grossly underdelivered in the past by by telling you guys my plans. So I'm keeping it you know to myself. But this, th- there is a book. It is being worked on right now, and I do have ideas for about three or four other books too. So, uh, so yeah, there's that's definitely coming. Um, okay, let's see here. Uh, did LRH have any children, quote unquote, out of wedlock? Um, was Sarah out of wedlock? Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, uh, he Alexa uh with sarah with sarah northrup i think alexa was uh was uh out of wedlock um i have not yet received my grade on my thesis yet thanks for asking alexian i am i am waiting with bated breath i i've got an email out to my professor right now like hey what's happening <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll see we'll see as soon as i know you guys will know i love passing that uh that that stuff on to you guys so there you go. Uh, thank you for understanding, Nick. Uh, <laughs> just don't need to go there right now. Um, okay. Hey, and Vernon, you know, as far as your anxiety goes, you know, I, fine. I really hope I've gotten across to you and to the audience here that I am 100% okay with somebody choosing to not do go down the psychotropic road. You know, to take psychiatric medications, to take SSRIs or mood regulators or, or anti-anxiety meds or whatever you want to take or not take, that's on you. It's totally fine with me, you know. But like religion in some ways, right, just because it works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else. Right? This is an evolving field of knowledge and study, and a great deal of research is being done on this. We do not understand over half of what we need to understand in regards to this. But, um, but to think that uh, CCHR or that psychiatry is still in a barbaric you know, age where they are you know, just brutalizing people for fun and money and profits, it's not really that picture you know it's a, that's a distorted picture of reality uh and it's distorted on purpose by cchr because they have an agenda and uh that's really the the kindest thing i can say about that okay um well exactly you know ace xx222 you were very welcome for that answer and i agree It is confusing. How do you hit, he uh, says here, it always confuses me when thetans exist outside the universe, but are also attached to your body, and you are also in the universe uh, possessing a body. Yeah, exactly. The most basic contradiction in all of Scientology, the thing that you have to take on faith alone, because there is zero proof, is the existence of a thetan. It's a pure point of faith and belief. It has no proof, no evidence, no reality of any kind because it is an unclear, unscientific, unfalsifiable concept that you are an immortal spiritual being who exists outside of the physical universe and its boundaries and, it, and its very makeup. You exist and you are nothing, and yet you are something. Uh, again, most basic contradiction in Scientology. People all have to figure out their way of thinking about that or conceptualizing that. But at the end of the day, it's words that don't make any damn sense. And they're not true, and that's and that's the bottom line on that. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, oh, good. Okay. Oh, these are good questions. You guys are awesome. Uh, Bud, is the war on drugs a failure? It did not get rid of drugs but made them more common in addition to the illegal drugs that are contaminated with fentanyl. If drugs were regulated, it would be better. Bud, you are 100% right. The war on drugs was a dismal failure, is a dismal failure, and will continue to be a dismal failure because we have been framing the problem entirely wrong um it is not a criminal moral problem and addiction and um and those issues surrounding addiction need to come out of the bible stone age morality uh, level of thinking it's just it's just not inappropriate it's just not right it's not how we're going to solve anything is by you know oh those drugs are very bad for you and you better stop taking them or i'm going to throw you in jail <laughs> That's not how – it's. you might as well say, you know, that eating that you're doing, all that sleeping you're doing, it's very bad for you, and you better knock it off or we're going to throw you in jail. It's that stupid. Ugh, I feel pretty strongly about this, as you can see. Um, addiction is something we've got to get our wits around, and we have got to get under control as a society. There is no question about it. We do not understand it. We do not understand how to treat it. Um it not, it not enough Okay, It's not like we're not doing anything about this. And I've been contacted by uh, people in the drug rehab community. I've been overly critical of that community in the past. I, I, I'm fine. Um, it's not that no treatments, you know, it's not like everything doesn't work and we have no concepts of what's going on. But what I'm saying is clearly we have not solved this problem. We do not understand it uh, at a level that we can solve it. And that needs to change. And uh, And the war on drugs has been waged from a moral platform, from a from a position of morality. And that is not how you're ever, ever going to deal with this. You know, I've talked about how Scientology shouldn't be banned in Russia. Why not? Because ideas are bulletproof, that's why. Because banning things doesn't work. When you ban something, people want more of it. On the mere fact that you have made it forbidden, you have put it out of people's reach, they're going to demand it. They're going to seek it out. They're going to search for it. They're going to do it just because you said you can't. So you're never going to solve the problem that way. And instead, what we require is understanding. (laughs) And that seems to be a very, very difficult thing to, uh, to be able to get when it comes to this stuff. Okay, so, um, so yeah, the war on drugs is a bit of a joke. Hey, Henny, glad to see you here uh, as we're about to wrap up. <laughs> okay, um, okay, guys, yes, legalization is definitely on the way. That is correct. Um, yes, Katie, you're absolutely right. The war on drugs was absolutely designed as a, as a there, was, there were racist elements uh, involved in that. Very, very true. It's, it's again, it's complicated. There's a lot of layers to it. I have gone deep on the drug issue, the war on drugs, the drug problem, how drugs um, were injected into minority communities, how the drug trade has, has grown. It was all opportunism. And it, it was not some carefully plotted plan thing. It was just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and immoral uh, criminal elements and politicians and do-gooders alike all piled in to make it what it is now. That's the fact. And it's a, it's, it's a mess. It's a total mess right now. Okay. Okay. Um, Yes, Nick, thank you for that. I absolutely do want to do that. I do want to go in that direction at some point and get critical about the addiction industry. Cuz there is opportunism there and in the in the addiction recovery field, it's not just Scientology that is that is propagating some real bullshit uh in the addiction recovery area or world, right? So, uh that's definitely something I want to get into more. Um well, Bud, uh, did Germany banning Nazi images make more Nazis? Well, there are neo-Nazis in existence right now in Germany, so you tell me. <laughs> I, I will absolutely draw some, some causation uh, dots between those two activities, between banning a thing and the creation of a thing. Now, that's not all there is to the picture, though. And so when we talk about Nazis, we're talking about something that's a little bit different than drugs and so you know a does not equal a here it's not all the same and the contexts are very different so while i will throw that out there at you and respond to your question i will also say banning nazis is not the same order of thing as banning as trying to ban marijuana <laughs> cuz nazis are extremely worse for you than marijuana <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jims, for that super chat. Very appreciative of that. Thank you very much. Uh, Love, again, love the support, guys. Okay. So we're going to, um, uh, yeah, when I say banned in Russia, it's not been banned. uh, But there were efforts in that direction. And if the Russian Orthodox Church and Putin and his... um, uh, censorship structure that, it, that very much exists in Russia um, have its way, then Scientology would be banned. I mean, they have definitely been making efforts in that direction. Same with the Mormons, by the way, and the JWs. They just don't like competition over there when it comes to religious competition and when it comes to um, groups or structures that they believe might be anti-government, anti-authority, or somehow rile people up against the government. And Scientology literature very much has anti-establishment, you know, revolutionary type uh, phrasing in it. That's what they react badly to, uh, and with good reason. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I can say about that. Okay, guys, uh, we have gone over an hour here, so let's go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. I really appreciate your questions and comments and feedback on all of this and your support, so thank you very much for all of that and uh for coming around and uh and and just being part of the show, uh, I love you guys and uh and you're all my critics, and you're great so uh check out the podcast I posted yesterday with rachel it 's the third and final part on our series on cults and emotional needs, and uh we really kind of kind of swept through the last four in this final episode there's a lot more we could talk about with it, and I am really interested in any feedback you guys have on those points because i think personally that looking at cultic activity and abusive behavior through the lens of emotional needs is incredibly enlightening it really like oh that's how they get away with that oh that's what they're taking advantage of there so i really hope you guys will check out those podcasts on that stuff and of course always check out the um the critical conversation show, the live show that we do on Fridays. All right, guys. And finally, oh, yes, I need to say this real fast. I am now offering myself for consultation. For, for, as a service I will, I will do for people if, if you pay me for it, right, uh, is that I will consult for you or with you if you need help with family, friend, other situation, uh, relationship situation, whatever. I am not a counselor. I am not a therapist. I do not offer counseling or therapy. It's consultation. I can give you advice. I can, I can listen. I can understand. And I can try to help um, with advice or direction based on my knowledge and experience with coercive control and destructive cults. So if that's something you are interested in or need, or you know somebody who does, feel free to email me and we can uh, talk about that. All right, guys, that all being said, I will wrap up for this week. Bye-bye.